three, two, one. Go ahead and kick us off, Shane. Actually, Ryan's going to kick us off today. We're going to defer to our guest. Uh, He's going to give us the advertisement of the day. So this episode is sponsored by Petrus, makers of the Teflon-coated iron skillet. The iron skillet for those that don't know how to use an iron skillet. (laughs) (laughs) Word of the day. Supernumerary. Supernumerary is an adjective being in excess of the usual proper or prescribed number, additional or extra. Can I can I have a couple minutes to Google all the words you use to say what it means? Yeah, because I know that I know you over overqualified for the ten dollar word of the day because that's like so? I want to say that's maybe even fifteen. That's a fifteen dollar word. That's that's a uh, that's not a, 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 a an eleventh grade word. That's Oof. definitely senior level. Oof, that's probably second year in um, one of those classes that no one ever takes. Something in the liberal arts. There you go. My question, would it be, how do you use it in a sentence? It's more, why would you use it in a sentence? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I agree. I yeah. just thought it was a fun word to say. <laughs> and I like saying fun words. Can All you, right. Go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Can you use it in a sentence? I cannot. I've only got a college degree. That needs a PhD, brother. So it's barely a word. Your face is supernumerary. I don't even know if that's offensive. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Hold On, I'm Almost There, a show about life's little annoyances, personal growth, dad life, and so much more with your hosts, Frank and Shane, a.k.a. Grassel. So have a seat. Do them chores or twist a wrench while we dive down the rabbit hole. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Close the damn door, man. You're letting all the Wi Fi out. <laughs> Today's guest is, I'm, I'm happy to have him on the show today. He is a husband, a father, a foodie, a self-proclaimed amateur chef that only makes eggs 17 different ways. Please welcome Ryan Hood. How are y'all doing? Glad to be here. We're glad to have you, brother. Yeah, man. Cool, cool, cool. All How right. Surprised that someone asked to speak to me. That was interesting. Well, the thing is, the thing is, we know you and we've spoken to you in the past and we find you entertaining. And we thought our four viewers in America and our one viewer in Germany would also find you entertaining. (laughs) Yes. Today's topics include taking on instant fatherhood. Since Ryan's a self-proclaimed chef, we want to ask him how you mise en place and what that means. What is that? How you introduced me to the art of bujo. That sounds dirty, but I promise you it is pretty cool. It's taking you back to handwriting in a notebook getting your tasks together. Um, wanted to touch on our first breakfast that Ryan had when he first started as a part of our group. Um, 
taking on being a leader at work? And then what are you doing to self-improve? And then anything else, books you like to read, crazy music, you know, we're going to dive down that rabbit hole and see what you're about, man. Let's Sounds go. Good. All right. Who's going to, let's see. So one of the, one of the reasons, you know, we have you on the show today is because, you know, and, and hopefully you're cool with it, but I asked you beforehand, you know, taking on instant fatherhood. Um, you began dating someone that had a kid already and, you know, you, you took that on and, and over the short course of time that I knew you, you really took the fatherhood, um, and, and you, you took it seriously. Um, and I, and I appreciate that to you and, you know, not that you care, but it, it, it was amazing to watch you, um, make sure that this, this child was being taken care of as your own. Now let's talk a little bit about that. So, you know, um, the way I guess to, to step back before instant fatherhood, you, I fast, I, well, I rewind and I'm doing the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life by far, and I'm getting divorced. And then I don't really know how, but next thing I know, shortly after getting divorced, much shorter than I ever would have intended, I'm dating someone. And that someone happens to have a one-year-old daughter who is also herself recently divorced, not the one-year-old daughter, but (laughs) who I was dating. Um, And so I went from doing the hardest thing I've ever done and then through unforeseen circumstances, very quickly – living with who I was dating and this un, this one-year-old daughter. And so I went from doing the hardest thing I've ever done to doing the hardest thing I've ever done now again. And so it was it was really it was really interesting to understand where I belonged, where I fit in, what I was allowed to do, what I wasn't allowed to do. What was I allowed to say? Could I say, no, don't do that? You know, it, it's, I had never done any of this before. There was no nine months mentally preparing to have a kid. I never had a conversation with myself as I'm ready to have a kid. I'm ready to try and get pregnant. I didn't do any of that. I had a divorce. I moved out. And in, without having a a timeline in front of me, um, a few months, I was living with a one-year-old. You're a fast, you're a fast mover, brother. No kidding. Well, there was a lot of variables that maybe be like an entire episode all on its own to how it came to that. None of it was ever supposed to happen, but I basically went from married to I got all my stuff out in one morning to living to sleeping in my car in the parking lot of where I worked at the time to then somehow living in a it wasn't costing me anything but would have been probably about a $6,000 a month 
condo in a high-rise building in the Galleria to about two months after that, getting a house in Montrose with my then very recent girlfriend, now wife, and said one-year-old daughter at that time. How did that How did that conversation go when you picked her up? Like you were hanging out at uh, some kind of nice place and you were like, hey, if you would like uh, be interested in someone that's absolutely worthless and, and uh, lives out of his car, then we should date. <laughs> so it's it's funny one of um the very first time she ever come up, came over to my condo at that time in that high rise um she was going to go to a a concert with a group of friends and i i was in back, gallery was it, area was it backstreet boys no it was uh beyonce is this, and, is this same. the condo that you speak of the hatchback of your vehicle or no <laughs> actual condo parked in a garage three levels up again i don't i don't know that there's enough time to even <laughs> fully explain all of this but just imagine i am living in a condo owned by one of the wealthiest chinese families in the city for free it costs nice. me nothing i pay the internet that's it Oh, nice. So a, that's that's the, you're a blessed man. I, I have a strange life. It's very weird. I I don't pretend to understand it. I'm just thankful for the things that are good and ignore the things that are bad. You know, I do the same thing, and I think I get a little heat from that in in from some people in that uh, I'm an internal optimist and. I, I ignore the parts of my past that, that make me cringe and I only focus on the parts that make me happy. And I don't know if that's a, a good way to live because I maybe don't ever learn, but I, that's the only way my brain works. Yeah. I, I avoid everything. I like that. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good philosophy. You should Man. write it. You should write a book. I avoid no, everything or yeah, how to avoid everything. Odd. Good stuff. Double stick iron skillet over there. That's right. Let's talk about the time you shaved your beard. How'd that go? Mm. Uh, not, not. I, I wish I would have avoided that. <laughs> Was it one of those things where you were trying to trim your mustache and you had it on the wrong setting, and all of a sudden it's like, nah. oh crap! Now I got to take it all off. You, you know, I, I don't know that I have a great understanding of why I ever did it. I remember going into the bathroom and. I said to myself, well, let's just take it down to like a two. And then I started like right by my ear. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, why not do it all the way? Oh. And I went down a few inches and like mistakes have been made. There's no <laughs> going back at this point. Yeah, you wow. looked really bad. I remember that day you walked into the office and I thought, I don't know who this poor sucker is, but God made men to have beards and he doesn't have one. Um, no, I, he looked he looked like a serial killer. Glad really <laughs> like some episode you'd see on Netflix of like cold case, this guy's picture is there. Um, glad when my face isn't hidden, it looks terrible. I'm the same way. Right. I I've uh I've I've shaved my beard uh down to like a one or a two, thinking, okay, I'm just gonna go back to a little more nat- just some scruff. And I'm like, that's why I have a beard. I forgot I don't like my face. 
I just realized that we did the dad's corner at the very beginning of the show. We did. So no, it's, it's like just FYI, this is the dad's corner right here that we're go that we've just kicked it off with this episode because this I, I felt like it was pretty compelling. I, uh, I like it. Not many people would take on uh, instant fatherhood the way Ryan has. I, I think you know from what I know outside looking in, of course. Um, you know, I have no idea if he's punching sheetrock when he gets home, but, uh, you know, based on the stories that he's told and everything, it, it sounds like he's doing an amazing job with his. There's actually child. two defining moments that it became easier for me. One is actually, I can say is 100% because of Shane. Oh my God. You're wow. don't give me credit. Oh no, but goodness. it's, but it's true. So you know, like you, you instantly struggle with the concept of, I in no way, shape, or form brought this child into this world, right? I was never there from day one, two, three, or three sixty-five. Um, right. So one time I was in the office and I constantly struggled with the, well, I'm not dad, I'm not mom, I'm, I don't know what I am. And one of the things that was constantly nagging at me was I used as a litmus test of how important I was to this child's life that now lived with me full time. She was with me more than her, her actual father. Um, I was speaking with Shane and I was telling him how much it drove me crazy and how much it told me that I didn't matter as much that when she was hurt when she was scared when she was mad or sad i was nothing but something in in the way and that all she did was like she just wanted mom and i could provide no form of comfort and shane mm -hmm. looked at me i remember this and he said you're being a whiny multiple words after that he's like that's just that's just life period i get you know i am my kid's father and when they're hurt they want mom it, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter how i came into this picture when they're mad when they're sad even if they do come and tell me when mom shows up they're going to go back through that whole process all again and only mom can solve that problem whatever it is that is causing their issue and it really like made me think that you know maybe i'm using this as some measure to like judge myself and say like i'm not enough but in reality this is just what it is for anyone and everyone i remember that conversation and i had it's funny uh, and i think you know god works in mysterious ways because i had just been through that situation with my son where he had hurt himself and I had him calm down. He was cool. You know, maybe he burned his finger. I don't remember what. And then once mom walked through the door, as you say, he had to relive that whole thing over again. He had to relive the emotion and the pain because mom walked in. And I was that way as a kid. Um, but also, I, I mentioned that because, you know, I was, I was raised uh, mainly by someone that wasn't my biological father. And um, I'm, I have a deep connection with him. Um, he's my hero. He's, he's the one person on this planet I look up to more than anyone else. And so I know that's possible for you 
because of how that those events occurred in my life. And so you've got to cut yourself a little bit of slack. Once once that once that little girl, what's what's her name again? Lucy. Lucy. Once Lucy gets a little bit older, um, that connection that she has with you is going to solidify more. And those situations aren't going to happen as much. But when when kids are little, um, you know, pre we'll say seven or eight years old, you're going to get that every time. You're not going to be the one to, you know, you don't have that mother instinct because you're not a mother, right? You're not going to be the one that they want to be mothered by. And that's what you're talking about is in that situation, you were trying to mother her and she wanted mother. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I get that with my kids too. Um, even, yeah, but, but you beat them with a belt. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah I chase them around with the uh, what are those? One of those little switches from the trees outside. That's right. Get over here, so I can hit you. Um, <laughs> cartoon. It's like a cartoon when I'm trying to spank them. You should wake uh, your kids up with a chainsaw and, and, and a hockey mask and see how that goes. Um, so when my nephew lived here, uh, that little rascal, man, he, he got into trouble at school and one morning, one Saturday morning, um, him and and my sons, they all shared a room and I went in there with an old, uh, like a pot and a metal spoon and I started beating on that thing. (laughs) Get your ass up. We're going outside to do yard work. And he was just like, what? oh my god you know it freaked him out and i know he hated me after that every day but i was like dude you're not gonna mess around like that this is this is not the place to do that because we have rules here and you know and my sister of course was super mad at me she's like why did you do that i'm like hey man dude's gonna mess up like that he's gotta learn his consequences especially here that's right that's right i uh i i had uh, the the first and only time that I drank in high school. <clears throat> I went out, I was working at, at good nurse steakhouse in Duncan and I went to somebody's birthday party, the whole crew there at good nurse who were all very much older than me. I was like 16 years old and we went out. Um, I went out to some house party and uh, of course my, the guy that was my buddy that worked there, he got me just trashed, just trashed. And so they, they had to, it was bad enough. They had to drive me home and then put me in my pickup at my driveway so I could drive down my driveway and, and go into the house because I didn't want to get busted by my parents. So I go in. My, my curfew is midnight on Saturday because nothing good happens after midnight. And uh, I don't. my mom didn't know uh, because I was like, good night. But my dad knew because I parked the truck kind of weird. And I mean, 6 a.m., he got me up. He's like, time to mow the lawn, son. And I was hung over. You know, the first time I ever drank anything and I didn't drink anything for the rest of the high school. I didn't drink again until I was a junior in college. Golly. Yep. See, those are life lessons, man. Um, crazy stuff. So, Ryan, uh, before we get to the next session, because we're about to butterscotch this onto the next one, um, I want to just I've always wondered because um, I think I know the answer. But um, am I the coolest person you've ever met? <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear the little, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the tinge in his voice as he was saying that I almost threw up in my mouth. He was afraid to say it. He was nervous. What's Ryan going to say? Oh yeah. I almost Uh, threw up a little bit, uh, but still, (laughs) I think I am. You're definitely in the top, um, echelon of interesting people for sure. Can I get top 10? 
Can I go top 10? Top 10 coolest you people $10 I've $10. ever met. I mean, Echelon. yeah, probably, probably so. Okay, I'll go top 10. That works for me. Oh, man. The What's our next one? This guy. Uh, so the next one, you know, these two are going to r- kind of roll right into each other because they have a lot to do with, um, you know, a, a place for everything and everything in its place. And because Ryan worked in several kitchens, you know, I want to talk about mise en place. And I also want to talk about how he introduced me to bullet journaling, uh, which he referred to it as bujo. And I was like, that's bougie. But uh, that's Ryan. If you, if anybody ever out there gets to meet the guy, that's this guy is one hundred, maybe ninety five percent bougie. So uh, let's, <laughs> let's jump into that, man. Let's talk about what mise en place really looks like in a kitchen. How pissed do people get when you touch their stuff? Well, I mean, I, I feel like you have to um, start off with just you know what is it? It literally just means setting up it's french for setting up for preparing it's getting everything you need in place to start whatever it is it doesn't have to be solely provided just for food it's having everything you need to eliminate stressors to eliminate um worry to have be more prepared and eliminate variables I, I don't um, I don't know that I would recommend anyone ever trying to take on a more serious meal in a kitchen without getting everything ready. You just have to do it. It'll make your life so much better. For people that say, I hate cooking, it's because you have stuff everywhere and you're running around crazy. Get it all together, measured in bowls right there next to you, and you're fine. Yeah. So one of the reasons I brought it up too, not only the fact that you worked in a kitchen, but I'm also reading a book called Work Clean. And it was written by a guy that was totally enamored with the book Kitchen Confidential and the making of a chef. And for me, both of those books were were great books. It really changed the structure of how I tried to do things. Now, my my mise en place is is all over the place, but I try to at least get the things that I need gathered, the people that I need gathered in order to to perform whatever it is that I'm trying to do. And so, you know, being able to read through it and it's so far it's pretty good i'm on like chapter 12 but uh you know it's exactly what you said um you need to gather your things before you get started so that you're not running around with your hair on fire you know getting frustrated not being able to complete tasks and and being able to follow up for for the next thing you know getting ready for tomorrow after you've done whatever you had to do today. That sounds entirely too proactive and I'm against that. You would be. Yeah. I mean, it's a term used in a kitchen, but what we're really talking about is just being prepared. Yeah. The same way you know how to start a fire, that's mise en place, my friend. Oh, now we, okay. I get it now. You got to bring bring it to a country boy level and I'm all for it. Got to got to put the hillbilly twist on it, man. You got to be ready for that time where you get stuck in the woods and you got to make a fire and make a camp and uh, exactly go catch, go catch some fish and not die. Exactly, that's mise en place, man. Mise en place, baby. Yep. As said, um, as said in a in a very redneck way, mise en place. 
<laughs> so let's, let's <laughs> jump right over that one and go into that um, bullet journaling. Um, you know, I was when when you had uh, I you were probably a couple months into working with us. And, you know, I, I wanted to sit down. And I told you, I was like, man, um, you know, I want to learn something from you um, and just to kind of get to know you and who you were a little bit more about you. And one of the things that you told, you know, that that I liked about what you did at work was how you took notes in this journal that you had. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. You know, your, your handwriting looked like crap, but it was all there. It had little check boxes and tick marks and things like that. Um, talk talk a little bit more about that, man. So it, it originally came from actually um, my wife. She would spend every Sunday for a solid two hours sitting at the table. And she's the most organized person I know. And she would build out this plan. I couldn't tell you how far along in advance it was. And there was all these pages that meant all these different things to her and maybe meant nothing to me. And she was more successful than I could ever hope to be and more organized than I will ever be. And I, at that time, was struggling a lot at work. I was... I felt like mentally I was getting pulled in a lot of different directions and I was having a hard time keeping up and keeping things organized. And I eventually went to her and I was like, show me what this is. What are you doing? Like, what is going on here? Because I'm trying to figure out a system for myself of, of making notes, of creating to-do lists, of organizing my thoughts, of keeping track with the dates and an Outlook calendar or a OneNote page or an Evernote isn't accomplishing it at all. It doesn't make sense to my brain. And that's one of the really cool things about bullet journaling is you customize it to what works for you. It's whatever you need it to be. And... Um, so she kind of helped me create the first one and I used it. I went through and I was like, well, I don't need this. I do need that. And I talked to her about it and I was like, okay, well, I think it's more important for me to have this section, but not that section. And um, you build all this out and you're essentially taking blank pages and you are building a, a blueprint of your brain and putting your thoughts into it in a format that makes sense for you. And everyone's is going to be different. Some will have pretty colors. Some will have pretty drawings. Some will just be a black grid. Some will include a knowledge bank. Some will include, um, you know, a, a future calendar that's things that are set six months in advance. That doesn't work for me. I can't operate off of that. I don't care what those things are. Um, I was only focused on days at a time, a week or so. And that's one of the really cool things about it. And then there's also a lot of people, if you do much research, the act of writing something down changes something in your head. You remember things differently. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know why, but but you do. And so that's what worked for me. It's it's you know, it was taking that one thing that wasn't digital and making it analog. And it allowed me to remember and consume this information differently that encourages me to uh learn to write i thought you were going to say something dumb like <laughs> it's going to encourage you to lean to the right to wipe your butt 
instead of I thought, I thought saying that I that I couldn't write was dumb enough. You got to take it to a dumber level. Yeah, yeah, really. I had to. But anyway, what I was going to say and show you. So this is um, I know people that are listening cannot see this, but I wanted to show Ryan and Shane as well. So this is my uh, journal that I have that I keep on my daily progress. So I have all of my notes. And then as I complete tasks, I fold the papers in different directions so that it creates a V in the middle. And it, uh, man, it, it's helped me progress uh, so much in just a little bit of time that uh, Ryan shared that to me because I really didn't know much about it. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like that may have even helped me move into this new position that I'm in now because uh, even failing as many times as I did when I first started trying to do the journal thing, um, I stuck with it. And like like Ryan said, you know, you kind of have to make it your own because there's so many different ways that other people do it. And I would look at those other people on YouTube, how they were doing it. And some of them, some people could draw amazing pictures on some of their stuff because they doodled during meetings and that's how they took notes or other people, you know, they would have their uh, future calendars for what they were going to do. You know, I have a small notebook that has that when I tried it and it failed horribly for me, but what I do now old school from elementary school, I have the date top right corner, notes, check boxes, um, you know, follow up dates if I need to do it. And that that page does not get folded until I've completed everything. And then if I need to, I will move what I didn't complete from one day and I'll put it at the very top for the next day. That's really and, cool. That's really cool. I'm kind yeah. of a combination of the both of you because I'm with Ryan. I can't think six months out. Um, I'm impressed with people that can. Uh, I I can only think about a week out and I've got, you know, I, I write down in my notebook the, the things I need to remember. And if it's something that's critical, like I need to follow up on this tomorrow or every day until it's done, I'll put a big star next to it. And once I'm done with that uh, task, I'll just, I'll just cross it out. I'll put a line through it. And so my notebook is a, a whole bunch of stuff, names, phone numbers, tasks, chores, uh, pictures of, of, of birds, whatever the case may be. And then once I'm completed, it's got a, it's got a cross through it. And then the, and then I just keep going and I'm kind of with you, Frank, I'll put a little date on it. So I kind of understand, you know, where, what day did this happen on that I need to refer back to? Yeah. But I like and the folding method. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it, uh, it adds a, a little bit of, um, panage to my notes. And the other thing is, you know, I went to Walmart and I bought the cheapest book that I could find. And it, I think it was like $7, you know, and I bought me a, a, a decent pen, but I've moved on to uh, different styles of pens. And then right now I've landed on mechanical pencils because those just work great for me. You know, I like I like just those old school shop pens, uh, pencils. 
you know, that you would use just to, just to score your wood before you would cut it. Sure. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever's going to make you write them notes. Uh, but that really has helped me. And, and, you know, I wanted Ryan to share that with our listeners, um, you know, go out there and take a look, check it out, go on YouTube, just Google search that stuff. And it, it, it uh, you know, if you try it, fail at it a few times that's perfectly all right but get a system that's going to help you be ready for tomorrow and uh you know trying to be prepared for the next thing and the next level is you know what this show is all about let's butterscotch to the next topic nice nice so i wanted to talk about the very first breakfast that i had with ryan i I think i want to say it was like maybe day two of him being there at the shop with us did you did you tell him he had judgy eyes no, I didn't. I didn't. Am I the only person? Yeah, you are. Because oh, you wow. do. Oh, my God, you do. Uh, hold on. Hold on. We need a third person opinion here. Ryan, do I have judgy eyes? No, Frank has the judgiest of eyes. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> so Frank, Frank, Frank is a verb. <laughs> we, we still, to this day, refer to franking someone oh no which is basically just the act of asking questions until you make someone uncomfortable (laughs) oh my god that's that's so good perfectly into the show that is so good oh i love it (laughs) oh man so the our very first breakfast there was this uh small cafe that's down on the first floor of the building we used to work in and you know, I, I took Ryan down there to go, you know, have a meal because I like to break bread with everybody there and kind of get to know them, see what they're about. And I, I felt like right after that, that meal that there was a, a a little bit of animosity towards me from you in that you were like, man, who, who's this guy? What's, what, you know, what's he's talking about? These, because, uh, you know, I was talking about the team effort, not letting anybody down on the team, making sure you, you know, pulled your weight and maybe even pulled someone else's weight if they needed to, um, just so that the team succeeds. And like, I just remember your head tilting back and forth, like, the hell is this guy talking about like why are we even sitting here talking about this stuff but i want i've always wanted to ask you you know if if, if you even remember what that was about but oh, you know, I remember. okay i i'd always i always wanted to uh get your perspective on that conversation so hmm so yes i i i very distinctly remember that breakfast i don't remember the exact words that took place but i remember my train of thought and my emotions and it laid a foundation of what and who is frank and what would my relationship be with frank from then on it was defined in that moment um i i did learn a lot and the, the shortest version of it is that breakfast was a in a in a vacuum exactly what my relationship with Frank and my concept of what is Frank would forever be is I am thoroughly enjoying talking to this person. I'm loving this conversation. 
but I kind of am hating this person at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's everyone's experience with Frank. I, I have never met anyone that one day I can be convinced if I he walks into the room and speaks for two minutes and I say I've had two minutes too much of listening to this person talk. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, if I look back over the last, uh, I guess, roughly three years st- – out of the 10 most important or most memorable conversations, half of those are with Frank. So it, it's it's interesting to me. It's I don't understand it. Frank is an, an anomaly of a human being. And I learned that in that breakfast. And I had never had anyone in, in that situation ask me to – you know, come and have a conversation like that. It was almost like an interview and in a way that only Frank could create, I got up from the table thinking, this was a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed this. And then with one sentence, I can't remember exactly what Frank said, but with one sentence, I left thinking, I wish none of this ever would have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, that breakfast, that conversation, I have never forgotten and i am thankful for because it caused myself to really self-reflect and really think and i can honestly say that sometimes frank has drove me crazier than anyone has ever drove me and has infuriated me but at the same time frank has caused me to think and grow and self-reflect and mature in ways that no one has ever caused me to as well and so it's like i i thank frank for everything and i hate frank for everything there you go that needs to go on your your tombstone brother there you go i know that's good stuff gotta get that written up on there i like that and um so the reason i brought that breakfast up was you know uh yesterday we had uh uh Mr. Icky Soma on the show and uh, a lot of the the Bible, you know, talks about breaking bread with anyone and everyone. And for me, when I have a meal with someone, it's not just to kind of probe, it's to, you know, welcome all aspect of conversation, no matter what it is. If it's something that you have, you t- you want to tell me that you hate my face and you want to punch me and you know spit in my uh, in my eye. Let's have that conversation, but let's do it over food. I do um, hate your face, though. You know, sometimes I used to work with a guy that would walk up to me from time to time and just like, oh, I hate your face. Just punch <laughs> you. you know, I'm just like, all right, well, that's cool. I love you too, man. Um. But, uh, you know, uh, Shane, if you have anything to add to that one, if not, man, we'll, we'll butterscotch it. And yeah, jump we'll, we'll, we'll butterscotch. I think that's a, a, a personal thing between y'all. I feel the dude love there. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to marinate in that. I will say one thing, Frank. So like I, I can use as like a metaphor of my entire relationship and my, all of my feelings towards you with cider notation and <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love that networking man that's that's 
the, a conversation me and you had one time was everything to me that's just like what is frank and what is my emotions with frank and frank was grilling me one time of why i needed to know cider notation and his frustration or or I shouldn't say frustration, his desire to make me remember something I remember just long enough to pass a test. And I told him, stop asking me about this. It's not important. If I need to figure out the subnet, I will use a subnet calculator. And he looked at me with his beautiful doe-like eyes like you're an and idiot. said, what if you cannot get to that subnet calculator? And I looked at him completely dumbfounded and frustrated, and I wanted to end this conversation. And I said to him, if I cannot get to this subnet calculator, that means I do not have cellular data. I do not have a connection to the internet, and a subnet mask is the last damn thing I need. (laughs) But that to me was like just everything that was frank. It's like there was no reason – to teach me this, but he had such a burning desire to teach me. And that, that reminds me that to me is just Frank. He, he needs to teach and I appreciate all the times he does teach. That reminds me of the, every opportunity. That reminds me of the first time I saw Frank mad. Oh, Frank knows God. this story. <laughs> I was, a. Uh, I want to hear it from you. Yeah, he uh, he had been uh, tasked. I was a TA two there at Women's at the time, and he had been he came in as a, a, a the network guy, but he'd also been tasked with being kind of the leader of the group, you know, to try and whip us into shape and and organize us. And uh, he was he was um, ill equipped, profoundly ill equipped at that. But that was what that was what he was told he needed to do. So he. Spent a lot of time, uh, I could tell, really trying to understand how to be a leader after not having ever been a leader. And having been a leader in different uh, roles in, in different companies myself, I, I, I took great joy in watching him struggle because I was watching something that I went through. And one day, something, something tremendous happened probably in one of the areas of the department of the hospital, and he needed assistance. He needed somebody there right then. And I, I, you know, I was eating lunch and uh, the other guys were eating lunch and he had called and said, Hey man, I need y'all to come up here right now. And we were all like, Frank was fairly new. He was probably a month into the job. We were all like, yeah, it'll be okay. You'll be, you'll be all right. Uh, we'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, we're going to finish eating our uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, uh, he came down, he was stressed out to the max and came down and said some crazy stuff like, I can't believe you guys are just sitting here. We got problems. And he just walked out, just walked out. He was so mad. And uh, so about, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, I finished my, my sandwich or whatever I was eating. And uh, I walked up to, to where he was at, to the area, to the department he was in. And he was still freaking out. It was the best. He was like, ah, oh, I need this. I need that. Oh, why aren't you doing this? And I was like, okay. And somebody else, uh, the department head was nearby, you know, kind of talking to Frank and kind of trying to express uh, what they needed and, and and the solution that they felt like they needed, which was stressing Frank out even more. And so I kind of calmed the situation. I was like, okay, let's time out here. Uh, this is how we're going to communicate. Let's talk about how we're going to have this conversation. Let's bring the emotion level down. 
and uh, let's just get the job done. And that's not how I remember that going down at all. You that's a, me empty handed. You were like, what do you want me to do? Like, Get a computer and fix it. What, I mean, like, you want me to spoon feed the problem to you? Well, I just remember part of the problem was the social dynamic between you and the director. She was stressing you out oh, with her absolutely. overwhelming need. And I just kind of have this, this common every guy kind of uh, mentality of, okay, let's just settle down. Let's just take it down a notch. I think we're all elevated a little more than in this situation needs to be. I don't know, man. I think that situation was, a uh, you know, and like you said, I was probably making a mountain out of a molehill, but at the same time, like the sensitivity of the problem that was happening to me, yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, lives are on the line right now because they can't get to data. And it just so happens to be our, you know, our, our most. I think it was, I think it was NICU. Yeah, it, it was NICU. Uh, you know, the computers were down and it wasn't a network issue. It was just the, something had happened with our EMR. Of course you say it wasn't a network issue. Well, and I wasn't, a, I wasn't a network engineer. Painting the, the picture for days to come. <clears throat> yeah, oh, it's never the network until it really is. It's always the network, hundred percent. Let's butterscotch. What do we got? Uh, yeah, let's butterscotch on that one, man. You're getting me hot over here. I'm like, oh, settle down. This chair squeaking over here because I'm so. You need to hit that thing with some WD forty, brother. Throw it in the. Do you know trash. how WD forty got its name? No, Wiley Dufresne. It's the initials of the person that created it, and the amount of tries it took him to get it correct. Oh, nice. I didn't realize it was really hard to make oil. Well, 40 is maybe not necessarily the amount of tries to quantify as hard. I would think if I tried something 40 times before I got it correct, then I was a failure 39 times. I think after one, you'd have been like, nah, I'm going back. Yep, I'm like, done, get some Crisco. I don't know the rating of this show, but I can list a few things that it took me 40 tries to get right. (laughs) Um, we have not hit that yet on, on <laughs> podcasting, um, that might take 150 billion. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> butterscotching on that one and jumping into the next one, you know, how, now that you're, uh, you're kind of established yourself as a leader there at the office, you know, what are you doing to make sure that, you know, your, your team members are taken care of and what are you doing to, to self-improve as a leader? So, hmm. Self-improve is a a non-stop, constant thought process. Um, it, uh, yeah. So I, three years ago, two years ago, one year ago, I don't know that I ever would have, if someone told me that anyone would ever have said that I – and should be leading anyone or anything, I would have said, I, th- I think you found the wrong person. I am unmotivated and unaccountable and often irresponsible. And I am lazy, but somehow, some way, I found ways to motivate myself through those things. And become something that's not that 
and I don't really know exactly how it happened, but it, it did. And then it became a mission of, well, if I could figure out somehow in some way how to not be subpar, how on earth can I figure out how to motivate others? Because when you ask yourself, like, you know, what is being a leader? You know, you were having a conversation about about Frank being a leader, and um, Frank will always be a leader. Shane him, himself as well, because uh, being a leader is not a title. I don't have a title. Um, it's being a leader isn't something that's given to you. It's something that is you're chosen by others. It's not something you assume for yourself. If you try to assume for itself, well, then you're you're not really going to be there. You can't force it upon others. They have to choose you. That's there, deep. That's there's deep. That's um, deep. in to to reference a Game of Thrones or a Song of Ice and Fire. There's a, a a quote that I've always remembered. That it's silly. It's a piece of high fantasy literature, but it's the moment that you have to say you are king. You are no king at all. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's true, man. I believe that. And and, yeah. and it's it's you know it's it's just a quote from some literature written by a fat white man, but it, it is it, it it's true. It's accurate. If you have to say that you're in charge, you're not in charge. Everyone around you should just know that you are. Right. Um, it, I mean, I think in that vein, like um, we our old manage our old director Jeremy. Um, he walks into a room, you know, he's in charge. Oh, 100%. If he anyone doesn't have asks to say a word, me, if anyone asks me, like, why do you think Jeremy is a good leader? How do you know he is a good leader? How would you describe him? I would say you take a group of 50 people. I don't care what their titles are of any level. And you put them in a room and then he walks in and no one knows each other. And the way he enters that room and once he starts talking, people would look at him and say, I don't know who he is. I don't know why he's here, and I don't know what he does, but I assume we're supposed to listen to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. That's how, yeah. Yep. So it, it – I guess it, it ultimately for me became about um, – and it's a weird conversation to have. It feels like I'm really like a bragging on myself or patting myself on the back. But do it, it, do it. I'll it, pat you on the back. It's building trust. It's being consistent. It's not being completely afraid of having difficult conversations, but understanding how to have those difficult conversations and not leaving that person feeling in a difficult position. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's really what it comes down to. And it's, uh, as Shane often says, um, about service, you know, it's, you're not a leader if you just tell someone to go do something. That means you have responsibility. It means you have authority. It doesn't mean you have power. Just because you can tell someone to go do something, why not go do something with them and show them the way it should be done? That's what being a leader is. I think uh, something you uh, hit upon that I think about a lot when it comes to anyone in a, in a leadership role is motivating others. And, and I spent a lot of time when I was in, I mean, I'm in a role right now where I'm, I'm kind of a one guy department. But when I was in a leadership role over 
I don't know, probably a couple dozen people, I had to find the way to motivate each individual. And so I had to figure out their personality, figure out what, um, what motivated them to come to work, what motivated them to give good service, how to, how to impart upon them that they're a servant, right? And then to own that. And that's really, really challenging for uh, if you're in a role over a, over a bunch of people, figuring out how to let them understand that their role is to be a servant because that's my role in pretty much any job I've ever had in any position I've ever had in life, um, God has made me a servant. And I think if you're not acting with servitude, then you're not going to be successful. Yeah, I'll agree with that. 100% man. Yep. And, and like, um, Ryan had said, you know, you have to, um, you have to get, I mean, And I say this, but people have to like you before they will trust you. And once they trust you, they will begin to respect you. And once you have that triangle in place, the the leadership role um, then becomes just everyone will begin to look to you for an answer or a a how-to um, and that's why I love to teach people, man, because I want to share everything that I have. And and one of the things that I always told people was, I want you to know what I know so that I don't have to do much. Because the more you know of what I know, you're not going to come and, you know, ask me how to do something. You're going to say, hey, I've already done this. I can't fix it. W- what should we do now? You know, uh, running through all those troubleshooting steps before you ever get to me. Uh, that way I can hang out and Google stuff. If only if only you knew the proper way to troubleshoot. Exactly. that That's what I Google. When, hey, how do I troubleshoot this? Once someone gets to me, it's like, oh, let me uh, whip out this super secret uh, website that I have. And yeah, there. So let's uh, let's butterscotch on to our next topic. We need a light topic. We need to, we need a topic that's going to bring us up a little bit. Do we yeah, have one of those? I, want, I wanted you to ask your question about the movie thing. Oh, okay. Because uh, um, that's a good one. And going through all this, I think that would be a, a a perfect paramount to you know all this discussion that we're having. I think I'm going to put a twist on it, though. I'm going to make Ryan responsible for the entire thing. Okay, uh, okay. because Ryan's a quick guy. So, Ryan, the, the initial question is, if someone made a movie of your life, what would be the theme song? But we won't, we won't go that direction. We'll go, what would be the genre and who would be you in the leading role? Except since you know Frank and I uh, fairly well, I'm going to ask you to answer for us as well. Oh, so I'm really putting you on the spot. I'm sorry about that, but I think that uh, you're a pretty quick guy. I think so, you can I'm get so it. glad I'm mentally prepared for all of this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just like the rest of your life. Yeah. So what would be the theme song to my my biopic is what you're right. saying. You don't have to pick our theme songs, but you have to But we're just picking the song. genre. I don't have to give you a specific song. So like so let's say you're you it's your movie, it's about you. Whatever the actor is, you choose the actor, you choose the genre, and you choose the theme song. But for Frank and I, you only I have, have to, to choose the, the actor and the genre. 
Okay. Um, I mean, if you want to pick the theme song for us, you can too, but that's, that's a little much. I don't know that I could just like right now on the spot, give you a 100% song. I, I think in my biopic that definitely the soundtrack is going to be very pop heavy because it appeals to a lot of people, but lacks a lot of substance. Like so that, Coldplay or what are we talking? Uh, I mean, we're, we're going anywhere from like Prince to um, probably not a lot of Coldplay. Probably not going to leave that one off of there. Um Throwing a little Christina Aguilera. Wouldn't be mad about that. What? Oh, my God. Okay. I'm learning things today about you. Yeah, no joke. I'm going to judge you harshly for that statement. That's fine. Um, I mean, my my guilty um, guilty pleasure in, in music is ABBA, so I definitely need an ABBA <laughs> song in there. All right. All right. Okay. One, one, two, three of those. Okay, what's your genre and who plays you? So let's see. Who plays me? Hmm. That's interesting. Who's a really cool but also weak inside? <laughs> Who's cool but broken? Broken yeah. dead inside. And, who is- and in this biopic, would they be cooking uh, macaroni in a skillet? In right. A cast iron skillet. I mean, oh, well, I mean, everything would be in an iron skillet. I have three iron skillets, but one nonstick pan. So I mean, yeah, it's got to be in an iron skillet. Except for the except for the nonstick iron skillet. Yeah, by Petrus. Um, by Petrus. I yeah. mean, I want it to be Justin Timberlake because he's like the coolest white guy I've ever seen. So I'd like to imagine that he could play me. Damn, that he could. Could. He probably could. He probably. I'm just could. saying, that's, I would watch that movie. I would too, and I like Justin Timberlake. I don't really like his music, but I, I've seen him in movies, and I like him. And he has the 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 coolest wife uh, on the planet. He's I just think. one of those guys that's like just a, slightly to extremely above average at seemingly everything. He can wear basketball shoes. He can wear Jordans. I I don't know any white guys that can wear basketball shoes and still look cool. I would love to be above average at something. That'd be awesome. I I wonder what that feels like. So the title of this movie would be Above Mediocre? (laughs) (laughs) Below Average. There are no oh. there are no microwaves in life. They're only slow cookers. I'm gonna I'm gonna let that slide. I'm gonna let uh, JT be your uh, your doppelganger in the movie. I think that would work because he's he's got a certain amount of dorkiness to him uh, because he's from like I don't know what is it, like North Carolina or something Tennessee. like that. Tennessee, yeah. Oh. Mountain. I think man, Ryan I think, it insulted that you didn't know he was from from Tennessee. He's yeah. like, God, have you even gosh, seen gosh, the gosh, Mickey Mouse it. Club? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I dress like him, so that is true. I have a, I still to this day have saved in my phone a side by side picture of Shane and Justin Timberlake. Yeah, um, that's very embarrassing for me. We'll not get into that. Um, Okay, so let's go, Frank. You're going to choose Frank's genre as well as who's going to play Frank. What's going to be a Freddie Fender song is, is, is the, the musical soundtrack. Um, I don't know who that is, but it sounds dope. You don't know Freddie Fender? Man, that doesn't well, uh, ring a bell. After this is over, like you go into Spotify or whatever it is you use, 
and just do a little Freddy Fender deep dive. Okay. Um, let's see who would play him. Oh, I see. Tough. I keep thinking the guy from uh, I can't remember his name. I always forget his name. He's been in a lot of stuff. But the guy that was like the sidekick from Ant-Man. The sidekick. Well, see, you're only saying that because that's Hispanic guy number three in every movie. Like, I know exactly <laughs> yeah. who you're talking about. He doesn't have a name. It's just Hispanic guy number three. <laughs> Did you just call me racist? No, I think it's just like. I love that actor. It's, it's I love accurate. him. I think his comedy is is really, and, you know, the way he delivers the lines is very frank. Very <laughs> I mean, frank. Yeah. You're talking I mean, about Michael Pena, by the way. Michael Pena. I mean, if, you know, if, if, if one of the other Avengers uh, had a very frank quality, I would have said them, but they don't. Michael Pena is very frank. I want it to be John Leguizamo, but specifically oh, from like yeah. Tu Wong Fu. There you yeah. go. Yeah. That one. That would, yeah, I mean, that I wouldn't, I would enjoy watching that movie. I would enjoy watching John Leguizamo de, um, just dish out Frankisms. <laughs> I would enjoy him. I would enjoy him reading the dictionary. That guy is an American treasure. He has like an HBO special that's like a one act play that's just a good time. Yeah. It's like yeah. history or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. What's the genre of Frank's movie? The genre of Frank's movie. Hmm. I mean, it's definitely going to be a drama. Kind of a goodwill hunting kind of thing. Dang. Where he's, so in he, this in this situation, it's like Frank, a uh, mathematician. No, no, he's the guy that like scrubs the floors uh, next to Goodwill. So he's hunting. like a janitor, but he isn't smart. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. So, it, so wait, wow, you have wait, you just quickly. created a movie where we have a chubby Hispanic guy that's a janitor wow. that isn't intelligent playing Frank, and we're supposed to believe you're not racist. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know no why. Kidding. I don't know why you got. Oh, a, we know why. I don't know yeah. why you got a fat shame, Frank. Frank is not a fat person. I no, I was I was fat shame. shaming Michael Pena. Oh no, he he, he kind of comes and goes with his with his weight. He per the role. Wow. He's he's a professional. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's definitely a it's definitely a drama. Okay. Yeah, it would be. Okay, so. Um, I hate to ask this because really I hate the answer. Um, so, okay. Lay it on me. So uh, playing you is definitely Tom Hardy. Oh, that's dope. I love Tom Hardy. Tom I mean, Tom Hardy's amazing. He, he is. He's, he's like a, a, a short buff guy with a six pack. I mean, he's got to play Shane, right? Yeah, I'm for that. And like, I'm I've sure. seen I'm Lawless. So he maybe works. we oh, just yeah. make the movie that's Lawless hard. and we just say that's about Shane. Yeah, there you go. Because I was a, I was a, a, I used to, you know, make moonshine. And uh, run it up and down. I'm just uh, picturing you, know. you in the woods with a gun. Well, that's that that is very uh, very much how I am when I'm in the woods. I'm I'm exactly like Tom Hardy. You're right. Now, if if it was a movie loosely based on your life, I'm because I don't know how many people know this, but as much of an idiot as Shane is, he's also yes. one of the most well-spoken when he wants to be and 
intellectual human beings I've ever had conversations with. God bless. You so, just um, – yeah, I'm, I'm humbled right now because I don't feel intellectual myself. Oh, well, you, you, you should. So if I could picture a um, some weird combination between Goodwill hunting and a river runs through it, <laughs> but Tom Hardy <laughs> is the star, <laughs> that's maybe a movie about Shane. Wow. I'm uh I will watch that movie. You yeah. Just described uh Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, that was a good movie. That's a good movie. There's I like even... one moment in the movie that I hate and then other than that it's great. What's the what's the moment? Cuz I watched that and I don't like Shia LaBeouf at all, but I was riveted by his character. I thought I thought he did a, such a great job. The one moment I hated was when the um I, I don't know the name of the character or the actor, but I, I believe it's been a, a while since I've seen it. He has Down syndrome, I think. When mm-hmm. he like picks the guy up and just like completely throws him 30 feet outside of the ring or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. It's like for me, it was like you took a movie that was a very real very movie and yeah. then just like yeah. made it sci fi for four seconds. And I don't understand why. Uh, other than that, I. That's a it was a really good movie, and I previously, three years ago, I hate Shia LaBeouf, and I find him mm-hmm. annoying and at best. And lately, I'm like, I don't know, maybe there's something to this guy. Well, yeah, like even in the movie he was in that we talked about with Tom Hardy, he was the worst part of the movie. Lawless, right? Yeah. In Lawless, he I was like, why don't you just have more Tom Hardy and less Shia? For uh, sure, but. But his character in that movie was um, – he was the kind of guy I'd like to hang out with. He had just kind of this everyman quality about him. And you're right. Uh, that one scene where they – I think it was the editing that was the problem because the way they edited that part of the scene was not in flow with the rest of the movie. Have you seen the movie about his uh, his dad? Uh, I watched part of it and I thought it was <clears throat> pretty, pretty well acted and, and, uh, I, I liked everything about it. Um, however, it was also a little painful to watch. I thought, um, I thought so it was, I didn't, I thought it was really good. I thought it was, I thought it was painful to watch because I thought I was watching, um, something so true that it, it kind of hurt. Painful and, not in that this is a bad movie, but painful that no. you feel sorry for the situation. For everybody involved. Uh, there was not a redeeming quality in anybody in the entire movie. No, it's it's not a um it's not a fluff piece. Fun fact, no. the reason he was ever able to make that movie for whatever reason he needed his father's permission, he he got his father's permission because his father was under the impression that Mel Gibson would play him. For real? That's a true story. Well, if uh, and and you can say what you want about Mel Gibson. I know he's had his um his downfall. He loves Jewish people. Um apparently. Um however, I think Mel Gibson is one of the best actors in 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 my lifetime that I've watched. I've seen a lot of his movies and I think he's an incredible actor. He may be a horrible person. But that's not what I require out of a out of a. Can you separate the person from the art? I can. I, I don't can. really. Can you? I frame? don't really. I mean, I'm I'm going back. I, the only movie that I can remember him being 
uh, good was uh, or believable was a patriot. Um, you don't you don't, don't enjoy Braveheart. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. It's um, okay. Braveheart is okay. That's the first time book. I've ever heard the combination of Braveheart and okay. Yeah. God, I think um, you must be a communist because that's a great movie. Have you even seen I the mean, Lethal Weapon for, movies? Or Forever the, Young. Okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, Lethal yeah. Weapon, Forever Young. I mean, yeah, I mean I'm about to pull it Lethal up on Weapon, IMDb. Lethal Weapon number one. Um, the other ones, when Joe Pesci started showing up. I mean, I like Joe Pesci, but I don't like what they did with his character. Um, You're just mad because the short guy was the, was the uh, town idiot. No. No, it wasn't that. It just going from him, you know, uh, my cousin Vinny and Casino and oh, my cousin Vinny you know, was a great movie. Going from those movies and then hit them throwing him in as a like some idiot doofus, and then I guess he started doing those other movies, Gone Fishing with like Danny Glover and stuff. It's just like, all right, dude, this is cash grab. I'm sorry. I mean, Joe Pesci can't do Goodfellas forever. That's right. right. I mean, I, I mean, that. if if you were if you were in the industry and they were like, "Yo, we're gonna pay you a couple million to go be the uh, the comedian," I'm not mad at the guy. I'm just mad at the characters. So oh, once okay. again, separating, right? That's fine. Um, That's fine. And then you know, I love him in Home Alone because it's a, it's a mixture of both, right? He See, comes off super hard, you know. He's a criminal guy, but then somehow he gets thwarted by like a nine-year-old. See, I, I disagree with that statement. I hated Home Alone. I hated the whole thing, and I thought it was uh, really a a degradation of what Joe Pesci could can bring to film. I thought his character was well played, and just I mean, all around the the movie itself, I liked it. the The premise is a little off because. Uh, you know that doesn't happen, but well, um, I'm a I'm a little older than you, so maybe you watched it at a younger age than I did. Um, but you know, it's fine. I remember the last time I was wrong. It's okay. <laughs> Talk about biopics. It would be depressing. A movie about Macaulay Culkin. Who? Uh, we're not going to go there. Yeah, yeah. that's a whole nother episode. That's an episode. That's a whole episode because I, you know. Macaulay Culkin, that's my homeboy. Oof. Sorry. That's, that's who plays you in the biopic. <laughs> that's, Macaulay Culkin's going to play me in the story of my life. What's, Macaulay uh, Culkin, can you spell this name? <laughs> no. What's uh, Okay, uh, you are well-versed, uh, Ryan, in, in musicology. What is the song of my – or what, what's, the, what's the song of my movie? Cotton Eye Joe. yep yep and they do a they do a cover where they're only playing the spoons and that little paper clip in the middle of that guy's mouth yeah absolutely you guys have to go and it's like the techno version yes yes Because why that exists, who knows? But that's Shane. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just when you think you've peeled one layer of the onion, boom, another one hits you. And that's when the techno, like the drop comes in. It's completely techno. You guys got to go on. I have to give me a minute. Because <laughs> there's no better combination than. <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe Techno German version. 
Yep. Because that chain, it's Splendora, Texas meets <laughs> Amsterdam. God. Splendora? Wow. wow. As we just peeled another layer of the onion there. Oh, my God. I can't even with you guys. That's oh good stuff. Goodness. Ryan, man, are you reading any books? You got anything going on outside of um, of work, man? You cooking anything on the barbecue this weekend or – um, you know, you're in your, you said you, uh, you got a new house decorating and, um, putting moose heads up on the walls. I, d- I don't have any moose heads. Um, you yeah, I, I just moved and I realized that I will never not hire movers again. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I made that mistake. Yeah. I've, I, hired, I've hired movers. I had a good, uh, a good experience. Oh, that that's the problem that I didn't hire them. Oh, okay. So this, he still this hears is... the Cotton Eye Joe and the paperclip thing going on. So he's like, <laughs> in I'm, heavy thought. I'm I'm trying to get over it right now. Yeah, I'm trying to get over my the techno Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, I want to hear that. If somebody out there has techno Cotton Eye Joe, that's a thing. Um, no, please please uh, hit me up at at Shane Lamb at I'm Stupid dot com. Yeah, so yeah, moving um this house is uh it's three stories. So if you've oh, ever yeah. carried furniture up three mm. stories, I have. And then tried to be a normal functioning human being the next day. Nope. It's very challenging. Nope. That's not going to happen. Do you have an elevator in those three stories? No. Ooh. I I I feel like Ryan would move to a place that has not only an elevator, but it has an elevator operator operator with like a nice little you know red suit, and he's like, "What floor, sir?" Just living in my house. Yeah, just no, a man in red clothes in my house. Is he what probably, is his name? He's his um. Oh, I don't know. Jethro. Jethro. <laughs> probably like he uh, sings Cotton Eye Joe. He sings Cotton Eye Joe. No, no, like the like the the HOA there, right? They've got it's uh, a house. It's not a building. Oh, okay. Well, then you made poor choices. Yeah. You're right. Three stories of poor choices mm. all day. Mm. Cool, man. Are you going to are you going to Are you going to mow your own lawn? I have no lawn. Well, that's not a house then. It it's is. a house, it just doesn't have a yard. Uh, a house has a yard. I it's don't know what house you're living in. What's your definition of a yard though? Like, do you I have mean, at least two feet grass. At least two feet of of uh, of grass. I have you know, shrubbery. Do you have like a, you know, you have some shrubs you're going to go out and prune every two or three weeks? No, some sure guys they... come and prune it every two weeks. That's bougie. I haven't okay. even asked them to come. They just show up. <laughs> they're like, we're pretty sure we've got a lifetime contract. Yeah, I don't yeah. pay them. I don't know why they're here. Yep. <laughs> wow. I want that deal. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. What's All up right. next, Frank? I, that's it, man. We've run through everything right now. Gosh, I feel like uh even though we're like uh an hour twenty five in, I feel like uh I feel like we could do this for a while. Um Yeah, but sure, man. we gotta do another episode. It'd be good. Yeah, I think uh I think Ryan's a good catch on uh 
Well, of the, course, um, he's got Tom Hardy playing you, and I've, I'm a janitor. So, <laughs> That's like, I mean, only because somehow, somehow in that Tom conversation, Hardy. Shane ended up casting your movie. Yeah, yeah. And Wait, made no. you, he made you an uneducated Hispanic janitor. Just yep, know that yep. that's the movie Shane made about you. He probably okay. went to some taco truck this morning and somebody wronged his taco, so he's taking it out on the show now. And that's just like, he's like, I'm going to get somebody back today, and I don't care who it is or when okay. it is. Okay, so let's take it back just a little, just a little bit. I can't even talk. Um okay Ryan I would like you to express what what you it's already think. out there that's I mean it's solidified now and, <laughs> it, I, I want I want Ryan there. the intention was for Ryan to say what he thinks you should be I'm sorry for stepping on your toes I tell um, you what so to follow in the racist footsteps of shame mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I hope- Let's, right let's go down toes. the same that path almost Shane was going, but let's make it more accurate. Oh, yeah. Let's get there. Frank, 100%, would still be Goodwill Hunting. And no, he is not the mathematician that says, how do you like them apples? Frank would be Robin Williams in that movie. Oh, that's awesome. But not Robin Williams. Like he's not that hairy. He'd be more like Michael Pena. If Michael Pena <laughs> played Robin Williams his character. <laughs> Some dude scribbling things. I think I think Michael Pena would be excellent in that role. Yeah, just imagine Michael Pena lecturing some young, cocky kid with some irrational view of the world that had potential but no idea where to point it. That's that's a movie about Frank. Dang. That's that's actually pretty good. Redo our breakfast. Frank, um I think if if uh, you don't say in the future, whenever someone asks you who would play you in a movie, if you don't say Michael Pena, but also Robin Williams, if you don't say that, then you're doing that conversation a disservice. You know, I'm well, I'm still gunning from that guy from Willow because I looked him up, and the guy's been in Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. He has, I mean, he's done a lot. I mean, I think he was even in Harry Potter. So I mean, he's got he's got a laundry list under his resume. Yeah. What about Robin Williams impersonating Michael Pena? Yes, hundred percent. In that scene where they gave him the truth serum, could you imagine that? That would be interesting. You know how he tells that super long, drawn out story from how him and the Ant Man guy met in prison, and uh, somebody's cousin's sister's uncle had to go change a tire in Fresno, and then they just happened well, to hear somebody at a taco truck that got Hamon. Uh, <laughs> Hamon. Yep. You've seen that meme, right, of Michael Pena in a uh, in Ant Man, where he's like, "Here's." Oh man, and uh, the the uh, the main the main Ant Man guy's like, what what's happened while I've been while I've been out? And he's like, oh, here's what happened in 2020. We have fires, you know, orcas died, uh, penguins <laughs> took over. Uh, we have COVID. I don't know if you guys have seen that meme. It crashed me up every time because it changes every month because something new, stupid 
happens in 2020 every month. I'm waiting on the lava. I, I'm waiting on lava from the sky. Or really what I'm waiting on is that the, so the, I think it was the, it's not the Choctaw, maybe the Iroquois Indians uh, thought that there were uh, bug or ant people, ant alien type people that lived underground. And so I'm waiting for those people to come back up out of Montana and be like, yo, what's up? We're about to take over and destroy you. Is that the Book of Mormon you just recited? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I've read it, but probably more ancient aliens than Book of Mormon. In Utah, not Montana? I, you know, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember where the, uh, the Indians lived. I just threw out Montana because I thought it sounded funny, but it might have been Utah. No. Uh-uh. All right. Well, we're going to put a fork in this one. We're done. Um, I don't even know. Golly, man. Thanks to anyone that's lasted this long. Uh, Shane's peacock feathers are in full sprawl. He has had his ego uh, feathered completely out while I'm picking up feathers in my dustpan. Uh, <laughs> up higher education facilities. Uh, I would like to thank Ryan for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for pretending like I have anything interesting to say. All been interesting. I I, th- I feel like I've pretended really well. Yeah, you're really good. That's why Tom Hardy plays you. <laughs> wow, we're just gonna yep. keep going there. Okay, I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna sleep well tonight. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Peace. It's always the network. I like that. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good philosophy. You should write it. You should write a book. I avoid everything. Am I the coolest person you've ever met? (laughs) (laughs) If you have to say that you're in charge, you're not in charge.